0: Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, you are indeed our eternal king. No other world leader, no other principality or power, and certainly no other Pharaoh is king of the people of God. And we praise you and thank you that by your grace, we are welcome to be your people and to call you indeed our eternal king. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. And while you're doing that, good morning. morning. I trust you are busy working this month at least through your covenant membership packets that you received last week. Yes? If you missed last week or didn't get your packet, please pick one up in the lobby following the service. I have been blessed this past week to hear that you are taking this seriously. Great. We should. Because it's a promise, a covenant we are making with God when we decide to become a member of this church, or really any church, in my opinion, any expression of the people of God. So good for you. Please take this seriously. In short, in case you missed last week, we are asking both current and potential members to commit. Commit before God and to God to join in here with this people of God. To love God and love others. To strive for unity in what we call our essentials of the faith. You can read about them in here. To agree to disagree on everything else and to be baptized. That's it. That's a lot, but that's it. And we are asking for that commitment for this year. We recognize, of course, that unforeseen life circumstances, well, life can happen and it may lead you to find another church, a job change, for example, or the like. Or maybe you need to move away for whatever reason. So should you need to leave, we won't ask you to be like the well-oiled machine called the Denver Broncos who are paying Mike Shanahan about half his salary to coach the Washington Redskins this year. You didn't think I'd let Devin get away with that, did you? (laughs) If life circumstances, like a job change, forces you to move, then of course you are free from your covenant membership here and you will go with our deep and sincere blessing. Now, unfortunately, that yearly aspect of the commitment we're asking isn't as clearly referenced in the membership packet as it should be. My apologies for that. We will amend it. But just know that the commitment we're asking from you is for this year. We're inviting you, challenging you, exhorting you, all of us, to pull all together in this way. I would like us all to be constantly thinking about and wrestling with who we are and what we're doing here. And so I've been trying to give us a greater sense of direction with all this emphasis on love God and love others. Jesus' summary of the Word of God and summary of what it means to follow Him. Your membership here, you're throwing all in in this way this next year, asking you to put your written name on a document declaring your commitment to God is all a part of that. So whoever you are, member or not, I invite you, I challenge you to join us, By committing in this formal way for one year to love God and others, to strive for unity and diversity, and to express your faith in baptism. Please take a look, won't you, at the Covenant membership packet. Hand it in sometime before February 28th, so on that day we can celebrate this commitment together. Besides, I get a new commission for every new member. No, I don't really, although I hear some pastors do. Seriously, I've got one word for that, ouch. So I'm very thankful that's not how it works here. I, I just urge you all, seize the opportunity that you have here, that God has given you here with all of us together to make this promise. I know I'm going to make it, and I hope that we all do. Okay. Oh! And guess what? you supposed to say what? I like lulled you to sleep with the boring announcement. Okay, try again. Oh, and guess what? I have exciting news to share with you. Big news. Do you want to hear it? Beginning on Sunday, March 7, we will expand to two services on Sunday morning. Isn't that exciting? Yes. It's a reason to celebrate. There, there are two reasons for it. First, while uh, we'll see in a minute that we're not yet quite to the numbers of the Israelites in Egypt, we could use a little additional room in this later service. Successful church models that we've looked at suggest that once a service reaches about 80% of capacity, it's a good time to begin an additional service. And we've been there for some time now. Second... We want to give both you all in here and potential new, new folks out there, we want to give both of you a second choice on a Sunday morning, on any given Sunday morning. So here's what we're asking of those who prefer a later morning service and our Sunday schools. We're asking for 30 minutes. So Sunday school will begin at 9.30. This service will begin at 10.30, beginning on March 7. In exchange for that 30 minutes, here's what we gain. We gain a second prime time Sunday morning worship service at 9 o'clock. Late enough to give people a little more time in the morning to attend and early enough to still send folks on their way soon after 10, as a particular Sunday may require. We're calling it our Denver Bronco service. Not really. So for those 30 minutes later for Sunday school and this service, we gain a very attractive time for an additional service. And with this early morning service time beginning at 9 o'clock, a little bit later than what we've had in the past, we also keep some time before 9 to have some special planned community time together in the gathering place from time to time. All right. Um, And let me say one more thing. You know, while numbers isn't everything, nor a be-all and end-all benchmark of success, I think it's important that we give God every opportunity to grow us in numbers should that be what He desires here. And as I look around the three years that I've been here, given the facility He's given us, It certainly seems that God is planning for more people, and together we shall see. We've been given so much here. We're so blessed, and I just want to share it with as many people as possible. So if you're a Sunday schooler or later service person or family, from the bottom of my heart, thank you what we stand to gain by offering a second prime time service in exchange for your 30 minutes later Sunday morning may well be priceless in terms of more people who can join in more Sundays than they can now. So please pray with me, won't you, that God blesses this new schedule, blesses it in a way that grows and deepens our experience and expression of God, our loving God, and loving others here at West Bowls. Will you pray over this with me, please? Amen. All of you will, right? Not just the 20 that said yes? Will you pray over this with me, please? All right. How about a sermon this morning? We be, well, Some of you feel I've been preaching since I got up here, right? We begin today a sermon series, as Craig said, in the book of Exodus. A series that should take us all the way through Pentecost on May 23. We've just been sharing together this past month what it means to be a people of God. And so it seems fitting that we take a look at where the people of God, a people of God in many respects began. And yes, of course, there was Adam and Eve and Noah and his family and Abraham's family, including Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and all of those folks. Those people were certainly people of God But compared to what God establishes in Exodus, they really weren't a people. They were more like a series of individuals or a single family who knew God. The transition from one family of Abraham to a people of God is foreshadowed in Genesis with God's words to Abraham. And where the words Israel and Israelites in Genesis are only used twice in 50 chapters to refer to a people. But turn the page from Genesis into Exodus, and we find the words Israel and Israelites used 125 times in 40 chapters to refer to a people, somethings. A foot. And Exodus 1 opens by trumpeting this transition from a particular family into an entire people of God. Exodus 1. Exodus 1 tells us that the man Israel, or Jacob, is now a people of Israel. The opening passage of any book is very important. And Exodus is no exception. Your Bibles are open to Exodus chapter 1. Let's begin reading at verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. You get the idea the author is telling us that something new is going to start. Everybody died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. The very word of God. Amen? Now that last verse, especially verse 7, is packed with five verbs in Hebrew, four in English, emphasizing lots and lots and lots of people. The Israelites were fruitful, multiplied greatly, became exceedingly numerous, and the land was filled with them. Do we get the point? Lots and lots of people. But not yet, really, a people of God. But the stage is set. With lots of people. A people, we'll read in a minute, that the author of Exodus has Pharaoh himself referred to as a people. How deliciously, incredibly ironic that Pharaoh names them as a people. The Israelites, he calls them. Wow. So there is indeed this entire people, the Israelites. But not yet, really, a people of God. Because before they can become a people of God, they have to choose to become His people. They have to accept God's offer to be their God, their eternal King. Israel has to answer the question, whom will you serve? And you know what? So do each and every one of us. Whom will we serve? It's a choice Israel will face again and again throughout Exodus. Whom will they serve? God, once again, as He always does, initiates it all, does it all in His sovereignty, and He does it all to present His chosen people with a choice. It's the people's choice. Whom will you serve? And my friends, it's our choice too. Whom will you serve? Hollywood and television and books and plays and stories, they all love to entertain us, intrigue us by putting a choice before the characters in them. Have you noticed? There's something about a choice with consequences that captures our attention and interest. Whether it's Let's Make a Deal, for those of you old enough to remember that show with Monty Hall, right? Right? Almost forgot his name. Whether it's Let's Make a Deal, that show where the contestant gets to choose behind what's doors number one, two, or three. And we watch. Ooh, what will they choose? Will it be a donkey or a car, right? Or whether it's The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Don't get me started on that show. But that show, too, what drives it, other than the train wreck of incredibly bizarre and deadly relationship dynamics on display oh, my word what drives the show is the question who? Who will he pick? Who's she going to choose? And we like to live vicariously through those people on stage screen and pages and wonder what would i choose if it were me and so we watch spellbound furiously munching our popcorn imagining such a choice if it were ours and the more that's at stake with the choice being made the more we're interested and thrilled have you noticed on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, what makes that show go is the people risk a lot to go for the harder questions. Oh, she risked hundreds of thousands of dollars for a shot at a million. The more that's at stake, the more that hangs in the balance of the choice, the more we watch, are compelled to watch and wonder what would I choose to do? We put together a few clips from some of your favorite movies and what they all have in common is someone is presented with a choice to make and something's at stake. As we watch, see if you can capture the sense of tension in the air as the music and the drama builds to the choice. And also ask yourself, what's at stake? you better than you know yourself you never had a camera in my head you're afraid that's why you can't leave in case i don't see you good afternoon good evening and good night Yeah. I'd rather you didn't. There's still one or two things that are. I'm the world record holder in chewing gum. I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah, spit it out. What's happening to her nose? Turning blue. Your whole nose has gone purple. What do you mean? Violet, you're turning violet. George, the shuttle's leaving. Where are you? Sweetheart, listen to me. I'm not going to be there. No. This is the only way you'll survive. Please don't on the ship? You have to be here. The shuttles will never make it if I don't fight them off. Short, I can't do this without you. Okay. I need you to push now. Ah! Ah! Sweetheart, can you hear me? I, can hear. I love you so much. I love you. here, kid. Please let me in. No. Oh, all right. You can come in. I will be dead before I see the ring in the hands of an elf. So, now I, be I trust take the ring to Moldor. Fiona is this what you want to be this way forever what because if you kiss me now we can stay like this you do that for me yes I want what any princess wants to live happily ever after ...with the ogre I married. Whatever happens, I must not cry. You cannot make me cry. Spider-Man! This is why only fools are heroes. (laughs) Let die the woman you love, or suffer the little children. Don't do it, goblin! We are who we choose to be. <coughs> now choose! No! That's a strong web. High drama, yes? Here's one take. I'm sure you have many more in the room. In Truman, Jim Carrey's choice risks leaving behind the only life he's ever known and overcoming his fear on what's outside the bubble. In Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, we're reminded that we need to listen to wise advice and watch out for our own pride when we choose, lest we become a blueberry. <laughs> in Star Trek, the choice involves self-sacrifice, sacrificing a life to save others. And in the movie Up, well, I don't know, we just put it in there because it's funny. <laughs> Grumpy old man with a heart of gold makes a smile, right? I, maybe our heart reacts... The grace the man shows the scared boy on his porch. In *The Lord of the Rings*, Frodo's choice gives him his life's mission, despite incredible danger. In *Shrek*, her choice is truly transforming. And in *The Matrix*, in *The Matrix*, the choice means knowing the truth. And in *Spider-Man*, we hear who we are who we choose to be. And here's the thing. In Exodus, Israel's choice involves all of that and so much more. Israel's choice has everything at stake. I mean everything in the fullest sense of the word. Life or death. Eternal life or death. Not just for Israel, but for the universe. Because if she doesn't choose wisely, there can be no Messiah. No setting everything that is wrong right. And so everything hangs in the balance as Israel faces the question, Whom will you serve? And from the opening pages of Exodus, that choice persists and dogs Israel around every corner. From a group of women placing a baby in a basket in the Nile, to a reluctant man standing before a burning bush, to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and Israel at each and every plague. At Passover, at a wind-blown Red Sea, at a fiery mountain called Sinai, and in a hot and dry wilderness, whom will you serve, Israel? And maybe that's what makes Exodus such a riveting story. So many choices with so, so much at stake. And there's this huge difference between Exodus and just any other story. A significant difference for us as we read Exodus or entertained by TV or Hollywood and read any other story and all of those dire choices faced in the movies. And the difference is is that we are not only living vicariously through the choices faced by Israel and the Egyptians. We're not only witness to their choices, wondering only, oh, what would I do or we do if it were us? The difference is, in fact, it is us. Today and every day facing the choices that Israel did in Exodus. The choices they faced in Exodus are the same choices we face, each of us, today and every day. That story that we're going to engage in Exodus is our story too, our ongoing story. That's why we're calling this series Exodus Then and Again, because we face again daily just as Israel and the Egyptians faced then the choice, whom will we serve? And we face similar obstacles and challenges to what Israel faced in answering that question. Now, when you came in this morning, you received a red and a blue bead. Go ahead, take them out. You can play with them. Your task this morning is to squeeze them together until they become purple. Purple. No. <laughs> Somebody over here started going. <laughs> no, we got the idea from The Matrix, right? Where Neo, Mr. Anderson, faces a choice between knowing the truth or living in the make believe, blissful ignorance of whatever he wants to think. Remember, pick the red pill, Neo. Or the blue pill. We almost gave you red and blue M&M's. We figured that's no good. You'd probably eat both your choices. (laughs) What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to keep these things with you throughout the series if I can be so bold to make that request. Take them home with you. Maybe put them in your pocket every day throughout the sermon series or set them somewhere around the house where you see them every day, and when you notice them from time to time, be reminded that you face a choice, a daily moment-by-moment choice. Whom will you serve? Now, here's two huge things we learn about God in Exodus. First, He doesn't force us to choose Him. And second, He doesn't ask us to make an uninformed choice. God fully informs our choice before asking us, Whom will you serve? He doesn't force us to choose, and He fully informs our choice. And so God's first task in presenting Israel with the question, the choice, Whom will you serve? is to free Israel so she can make a free choice of whom to serve. Because when we first encounter Israel, as Craig alluded, as w- when we first um, ac- uh, encounter Israel and Exodus, she is not free to choose. Let's pick up in chapter 1 where we left off at verse 8. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph, uh-oh, that's my words, not God's words, then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, interesting, the Israelites, there it is, out of the mouth of Pharaoh, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country." So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields In all their hard labor. The Egyptians used them ruthlessly. See, Pharaoh is forcing Israel to serve him. The emphasis is felt, especially in those last couple of verses, verses 13 and 14, where the Hebrew root for the word serve, which is abad, say abad, where that root is hammered home five times. The following more literal word-for-word translation helps bring this out, I think. So they made the people serve with rigor and made their lives bitter with back-breaking service and mortar and brick. And with every kind of service in the field, with every kind of service, they made them serve with rigor. You get the idea. Israel is being forced to serve Pharaoh. She isn't in a position to be free And choose whom will she serve. And that story of Exodus is really a story of God at work freeing his people so they're free to choose whom will you serve. In a few weeks, we'll look at how God does the same for us, whether it's sin or addiction or another expression of self or whatever it is that binds us. God works to free us from anything that is forcing us to serve it so that we can be free to choose, so help us God, whom will I serve? Second, God doesn't ask Israel to make an uninformed choice. God makes his case in Exodus for Israel and for us to choose to serve him one crucial foundational theme in Exodus is redemption. God certainly redeems the Israelites, frees her, rescues her, delivers her, makes it right. What's often lost, however, in the shadow of this gigantic theme of redemption in Exodus is the very clear, beautiful note playing above and underneath and around all of the redemption going on. And the particular note I'm talking about is the note of creation. God showing that He, and He alone, is the Creator God. The words of C.S. Lewis came to mind this week as I reflected on that. His words in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move in Exodus, exerting his awesome, life-giving, freedom-giving, creative power. One commentator notes, the relationship between the themes of redemption and creation in Exodus works this way. Generally, he writes, God's work in creation provides the basic category and interpretive clues for what happens in redemption and related divine activity. It is the Creator God who redeems Israel from Egypt. God's work in creation has been shown to be life-giving, life-preserving, and life-blessing. What God does in redemption is in the service of these endangered divine goals in and for the creation. Endanger because Pharaoh is stepping in the way or trying to. Not only is an experience of God's work as Creator necessary for participation in the Exodus, otherwise there would be no people to redeem, an understanding of God's work as Creator is indispensable for the proper interpretation of what happens. There would be no Exodus as we know it without its having been informed by that understanding. In other words... God reveals Himself to Israel as the one and only Creator God. It's a primary way that God makes His case for people to choose Him. And we'll add to this list of how God makes His case in the weeks ahead. But one way He does it is to show that He is indeed the Creator. I see you're unable to freely choose whom you will serve. Here, let me fix that. And even as I fix that, I'm going to show you in how I fix it that I am the Creator. God could have snapped his fingers and Israel wakes up in the Promised Land, couldn't he? But he didn't. That would force Israel's choice. Instead, He lingers over it, labors over it, loves over it, much like He did in hovering over the waters in Genesis 1. He's gracious beyond belief over it to show Israel and show the world that He and He alone is the Creator, the only One who brings true life and then lets them choose Him. And did you know That emphasis of God in Exodus, that he is the creator, it hits Pharaoh and Egypt and maybe even Israel, who had begun to be impressed with Egypt, seduced by the Egyptian way when Joseph was second in command in Egypt. That emphasis of God as creator hits them right at the heart of it. Did you know? And here's why. The Egyptians had a creation story too, one that sounds a whole lot like Genesis 1 and 2. Maybe I'll read some of it sometime for you. But the Egyptian creation myth, of course, gives all the credit to the Egyptian gods and pharaoh. And the entire Egyptian religious system, one basic tenet, if you will, was that a good, faithful, religious, God-fearing, or God's-fearing Egyptian, is one who brings order from chaos. Interesting. Maybe that's what drove them in part to build those ingeniously structured and ordered pyramids. And what's a synonym for bringing order from chaos? It's one word. Begins with C and ends with reation. Creation. Good. When an Egyptian dies... When an Egyptian died, his or her heart would be weighed against a feather, actually, and he or she would be judged, their lives balanced by the question, did you bring order out of chaos, or were you responsible for chaos from order? And as the head Egyptian, that was especially Pharaoh's task, to bring order from chaos for his people. And he had his methods. Basically, oppression, exploitation of the weaker was his method to bring order. And so God steps into this Egyptian system and mindset, into this appreciation of order out of chaos, and says, you want order from chaos? Well, you're all barking up the wrong tree. Pharaoh? The gods of Egypt, you think, bring order from chaos? Consider me instead, because I am who I am. I am the only one who can do it truly. And I don't do it by oppressing the weak. I do it by lifting them up, and I do it by giving of myself in love. You want order from chaos? Consider me, Israel and Egypt and the world Consider me instead of Pharaoh or his gods or any other gods. And God, in a big way, we'll see it especially in a few weeks when we look at the ten plagues, God, in a big way, shows everyone that he and he alone is the creator, the one who brings order from chaos, the only one whom all creation responds to and trembles at the sound of his name and follows So I invite you, invite all of us to come together as we make our way through Exodus these next few months and watch with me, see with me how many times and in how many different ways God shows that creation is His, that His way of order from chaos is better than Pharaoh's way. We'll see it already next week when we read of that baby placed in the Nile. God versus Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt right off the bat. And as we experience the exodus again, people of God, consider with me again our God, won't you? As he makes his case in Exodus, not only to Israel, not only to the Egyptians, but allow him if you would, to make His case again to each of us. Whom will you serve? God frees us to answer that question freely if we let Him. And He gives us everything we need to know to make the choice. He doesn't ask us to decide in the dark. He makes His case. And at the end of the day, when you are free to choose... And God's case is fully made. Whom will you serve? The choice is yours, and everything depends on it. So please choose carefully. Whom will you serve? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are great and powerful beyond our wildest imagination, and that you would take that infinite amount of power and humble yourself the way you do and have always done, to stoop down with grace and mercy and love, to especially the poor and the weak, To the people that you created in your image, whom you deeply cherish and love and desire more than anything, that they would come home. Help us, Father, to see you again, to see you as if even looking for the first time at who you are, this Father of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And challenge us as we go throughout the next few months especially, beginning today and every day, with that question of whom will we serve. Help us, Father, to make that free choice to serve you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, and to love others as ourselves. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Would you stand please for God's benediction his good words mm. Hero Israel Hero West Bulls Community Church the Lord is our God the Lord alone Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you again next week. God bless you all.